Last week, we started a series called Horrors of the Heart. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was faced with a dilemma last week. One of those just amazing tensions that God brings to your heart. You know, we had a little service team training. We've opened up a new kids uh, room in our kids ministry because the church has been growing a lot with children. Praise God. We're thrilled about that. So we, we were training a new, you know, a new team of people. And with that, you know, we brought some coffee and we had some donuts and there was one donut left. And that was a pumpkin donut last week, a specialty donut. And because there was one donut left and it was offered to me, I felt like the Lord wanted me to eat it. And like I said, it was a specialty donut. And, and you know, someone in the church was like, I tell you what, I'll split it with you, which kind of makes it healthy right? It reduces the caloric intake. And I was like, see how God works here? And so the pumpkin donut is split in half and I, I take my half and I go to eat it and my half falls to the floor. What are you going to do? There is a tension at work in this moment as to what makes the donut dirty. Is the donut too dirty to eat? Is it unusable? Is it unfit for the purpose for which it has been called to be eaten and digested as the pumpkin donut that it is? Oh, there was a little crowd that, that was around and some were like, well, that's going in the trash. And I'm going to be honest with you, it didn't even occur to me to throw that pumpkin donut in the trash. I just reached down, picked up that donut, and I ate that thing like it was my job. You're welcome. You know what? I felt stronger afterwards. I felt strength fill my very body. Okay? The real question is, though, and we know this, what, what, what deems something like the donut dirty? What makes it? Honestly, right, there's the five-second rule. How many of you, by show of hands, would have had no trouble? picking up that donut and eating it. How many of you would be like, not a chance. It's going in the trash, in the back row. I know that's happening in the back. <laughs> yeah, right? We're all split as to what makes the donut dirty, okay? What makes it clean versus unclean? And now we're beginning to make the shift, and you can tell already where I'm going with this. Because we can laugh about donuts, but this tension of what makes something what makes something usable, what makes something a clean, unclean, is a tension that is at work in many of our hearts, and we don't even realize it. Think about the person, and maybe this is you, right, who just is unwilling or unable or just, you don't want to pray. You don't want to pray out loud in front of anybody because you just don't think your prayer is good enough. My prayer is not good enough. I don't really know what to say. It's not going to make it past the ceiling, much less to heaven, where God would hear it. Right? We, we, we feel those tensions at work. But what else? We've got, you know, whether it's prayer or the person who is unwilling to share their faith. 
They know they've got a divine opportunity in front of them, and they know they could and should, but they don't because, after all, I don't know really what to say, and I don't know how to say it. I'm going to kind of screw this up, and and so I'm just going to hold on to all this stuff that I know, and I'm going to keep it to me. I'm just, I'm not really in a place where God can use me. There's a person who won't come to church because they've made, honestly, they've made a lot of bad choices. They have. And the last place they'd expect to feel welcomed is a church filled with holy people and a pastor preaching a holy message and God's presence. Surely this is the last place I should go. And we have these internal tensions. And what's really at work here is this, is this parable and principle that we'll see in just a minute of what really separates you from God, what causes cleanness and uncleanness, what allows God to use you and not use you. What makes the donut dirty? We had a fall festival party in my neighborhood and I always have mixed feelings sometimes going to them because I get hit up with pastor questions a lot, right? And, so, and I like that, but sometimes you also just want to sit, right? And watch a football game, right? And so we're having some of these conversations and they're coming up. And the truth of the matter is, even though sometimes we internalize this tension, we also externalize this tension. And think of it this way. Even if you don't wrestle with your own inadequacies before the Lord, many times we put inadequacies on other, uh, adequacies on other people. And so you think to yourself, there's no way that person, oh, good Lord, is ever going to come to my church They would hate it because their life looks like that. There's just no way. It's the neighbor, right, Uh, on your street, and the cops are always at their house. And so you write them off, and you just think somehow, even though you would never say it, you as a good Christian, if you're sitting here and you put your faith in Jesus, you'd never say this. We're too, we're, you know, we're too sophisticated and sanitized to say it, but we act this way that somehow that person or that family, God's grace is just not really enough for them. Oh, you'd never say it, but your actions tell a different story. You guys with me today? You guys feeling this tension at work? Oh, I am guilty of this. There are people in my own life group that I've told and looked in the eyes and said, I didn't have faith for you. And I need to repent to you because I didn't have faith. I didn't even pray for you. I thought there's just no chance. And I'm the pastor. And God rewrote their story. Turn to Mark chapter 7. I want you to hear this today. We're going to drive this deep today. Whether you're a college student, grad student, teacher, family, married, single, we need to hear this church. 
There are horrors in our heart. And many times Jesus addresses it through the lens of Pharisees and the religious folk in the Bible. And Jesus is going on and he's, he, he's, we talked about this last week and you can listen to the podcast, but here's the tail end of the verse and then the, the next portion is coming next. Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. In other words, it's not outside stuff, church. It's not your circumstances. It's not the things that you've experienced. It is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside, and those are the things that defile a person. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, you might be using a paper Bible or a version Bible. You're not going to see it on the screen. But for most of you, there's a little heading that now is introduced into the text right, that separates the portion that we're about to read from the section that I just read. But I want you to understand, the original writer, Mark, did not separate these portions of the Bible. What's coming next is intentionally included for us to see this tension of cleanness and uncleanness put on display through the ministry of Jesus. It's not like there's a, you know, pause and new scene in the movie. Here we go. Verse 24. Jesus left that place after having this conversation and he went to the vicinity of Tyre or Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anybody to know it. Yet he couldn't keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, I got questions. I got, you know, possession questions, demonic questions, spiritual warfare questions. That's not what I'm getting into today. Although a great conversation, I'm sure. The purpose of the text is not to try to give us an, an illustration of spiritual warfare. The purpose of what's happening here is for us to understand worth and for us to understand what really separates people from God. Jesus makes it clear and he provides attention that we need to hear. We want to make our problems something that come from the outside, which is why we are so good at pointing the finger and blaming our situation on external environments. But Jesus makes it clear the problem is coming from the inside. What separates you from God comes from within. There is something wrong in our hearts and that heart needs a miraculous blood transfusion. 
We need a work done in our heart to transform us that only Jesus can do. But understand, the root of the problem isn't out there. It's in here. There's, uh, you know, there's scary movies on all the time right now, right? If you stream, there, you know, the little thumbnail pictures are all over the place. And, you know, there's a classic. Uh, there's a classic movie called When a Stranger Calls, okay? And most of you probably never seen it. But it's the movie with, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those movies that gets, you know, has inspired a lot of others. And there's the moment with the babysitter and, you know, the babysitter's babysitting and she keeps getting these calls, threatening calls, scary phone calls, dangerous calls. And it's super creepy and the voice is super creepy, okay? But as you get, I'm, I'm going to ruin the movie for you. As you get to the end of the movie, the police call, because she's called the police, she's reported it, and the police call. And they, they say, you got to get out of there. Panic button. Run. Get the kids. Why, officer? Because the calls are coming from inside the house. You know, dramatic music plays, instant, you know, anxiety. <gasps> you know, the person who's been calling is in there with you. Get, get the children and get out, right? In other words, it's coming from inside. And for us, when it comes to separation from God, the issues are not out there, even though I'm not suggesting that there aren't problems or that there aren't things that haven't happened to you or hurts that you've experienced or pains or, or hiccups or difficulties. I get that. But what causes true separation is on the inside. We've got to deal with our hearts. Mark, the writer here of the gospel, he does something Matthew describes this moment as well. This is, you know, culturally speaking, we read this story and some of you are like, man, I hope Andy addresses this because Jesus just called this woman a dog. Like the height of offense. And I, I want you to catch this though because oh, there's some tension at work here. But, but don't read this moment in the Gospels through the lens of 2023 culture uh, you know, culture tensions that are existing here in the United States. You can't read the Bible that way. You have to read it through the lens of what it meant and what was intended at the time in which people were being written about. And so Jesus, you know, he's having this moment. He's trying to get a little bit of rest. He's had this exchange with the Pharisees and they, they you know, he, he heads to this vicinity of tear. Right, And he's going into a home thinking, I'm going to get a little privacy, but no, the word is already out. And Mark clues us in on who this woman is. She is a Greek, but she's not just a Greek. She is a Syrian Phoenician woman. In other words, she is a Gentile pagan. And she is living in a nation that is oftentimes considered wealthy and oppressive to the Jewish people. In other words, this is the enemy. And for a good practicing Jew to even be in this woman's presence would make you unclean. 
Jesus has just been having these, these moments with the teachers of the law on what makes you clean and unclean. And for them, if you don't wash the dishes right and you don't wash your hands right and if you don't follow the traditions and the rules and laws of the elders, then you are not in a right place with God. The externals need to be right in order for you to be right with God. Furthermore, if you are even around somebody who's a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, well, you are out of luck. You're unclean. But over and over again, what do we see Jesus doing? He touches the leper. But instead of the leper making him unclean, he makes the leper clean. Jesus is around the body of somebody who's dead. And instead of the dead person making Jesus unclean, Jesus touches the person or, or, or prays and Lazarus comes out of the tomb. In fact, the dead person is made right and whole. Over and over again, we see the accusation of this is going to make you unclean. And Jesus says, I got another story for you. Watch this. Boom. And he brings life to the situation. And so here we have a person who is deemed unclean, not because of anything they have done, but simply because of who they are. She's a Gentile, and therefore, she is unclean. And Jesus refers to her as a dog. And what you need to know is that Jews referred to Gentiles from this area as dogs. It was anybody who was outside the family of God, the Jewish people. It was a common phrase for these people to be considered dogs. Now, I'm not saying that that's just cordial or happy-go-lucky or not offensive. But Jesus is using language in this moment that was understood as somebody who is non-Jewish and somebody who is outside the mercy of God in this moment from a technical standpoint, from the standpoint of what Jews were teaching in this moment. And he refers to her as a dog. Some of you have dogs. In this moment, Jesus is referring to the little dogs who are scavengers who are eating trash. And they aren't pets in the same way. They were pets, but they're not pets in the same way nowadays where billions of dollars are spent and we call our pets children. My kid, I get it. But in my home, there are, there are rules for dogs. Some of you guys probably have rules for dogs too. In my house, rule number one, don't feed the dog Human food. Anybody got that rule for your dog? Wow, look at you guys getting Big Macs for your dog. <laughs> rule number two in my house, if rule number one is to be broken, don't feed the dog human food from the table. Rule number two. 
And if rule number two must in fact be broken, rule number three goes into place. Don't feed the dog human food from the table when other people are still at the table. And the reason we establish all of those little rules is because we don't want the dog begging right at the table. That's why we do it. But understand something here. There is a fourth rule that goes into effect for my golden doodle who loves to sneak Pop-Tarts off of my kitchen table when the children aren't looking. That'll get you in trouble, Miles. But even then, because we love our dog and she's cute and nice and fluffy, there are times where food falls from the table. The children are eating, and Lord knows with four kids, guess what? You're eating a taco and a little meat falls out. Is that intentional? Maybe sometimes. <laughs> a little something falls from the table. And guess what the rule is? If food hits the floor, it's fair game. And so our dog knows, don't be too close to the table, but be close enough. Right? If a few crumbs fall, I'm getting in on the action. And so when this woman is in conversation with Jesus and she is, she's talking about what this looks like and what this means, she surprises Jesus with her response. Jesus says, hey, look, I've got a mission for which God sent me, and that is the children of God, the Jewish people. The Jewish people are the ones that are to be seated at the table right here. He's not saying that somehow they're better than, than, than her in the eyes of God, but simply his mission as Messiah, as the one to fulfill all the prophecies made about the Messiah from Abraham all the way up till the present. It's that he would come and preach the kingdom to the Jews those who had been chosen by God to be his ambassadors to the rest of the world. Mission priority number one was God's chosen people, the Jewish sons and daughters. And he describes them as children eating at God's banquet table. I can't take from the children of God and give it to the dogs. In other words, I'm not here right now to preach to Gentiles. I'm here to preach to Jews. And she says, but even the dogs, they get a crumb every once in a while. Even the dogs get a crumb. The scriptures say that she actually falls to the ground because she's so desperate for her children, her, her daughter, to encounter freedom. She's, Matthew says that she's on her knees before Jesus. In other words, she's not offended in this moment. 
Even when Jesus deems her a dog in this moment, it's not a cultural offense in the way that we would understand it. He's helping establish mission priority and Gentiles and Jews. And she says, I know who I am. I understand that I have no right to your mercy. I have no claim on your goodness or on your grace. I know who you are and who you came from. I know what you're here for, Jesus. I'm not making any rightful, presumptuous, arrogant claim before you, but I'm on my knees right now. And I am begging you because I know who you are. And there's so many people who are hearing the kingdom and they're hearing Jesus and they're the children at the table and they are completely missing it. And if you've ever seen a dog who thinks they're about to get something, it's like a dog with a bone. And you can just see, can't you just see this woman? Jesus, I, I know who I am. She doesn't refute who she is. She doesn't in any way carry offense. She's not angry. She doesn't say, how dare you call me that, sir? I am a woman. I am this. I, I rebuke you, Jesus. No, none of that. She's on her knees and she says, I, I know. But here's the other thing that I know. I know I don't deserve this, but I know who you are. And so, Jesus, I'm asking that you'd, you'd, you'd heal my daughter. And like the dog that just keeps getting a little bit closer, right? And they just kind of sneak in. They sneak in. They sneak in. My dog, who, if she wants to be pet, there is no taking no for an answer for her. She's just going to keep going. She's going to keep leaning in a little bit. She's going to get in your face. She's going to just keep sneaking in. There's no avoiding petting her. There's no avoiding her getting close to the table and being ready and present for anything that might drop from the children. And what we see here is this amazing picture. Jesus, by the way, ever, he never had any trouble ministering to Gentiles. He does it all the time. He's testing in this moment and he's illustrating in this moment that what makes you clean and unclean, it isn't where you're from. It isn't what language you speak. It ultimately isn't even your past. It isn't how jacked up you are. Oh, it's sin, certainly. But the issue for your heart is faith. And this woman comes to Jesus. And she says, all I need is a crumb. That's all I need. Faith the size of a mustard seed. It's all that I need. I know who you are and I know who I am and I know what I deserve. But Lord, I know that you're good and I know that you're gracious and I know that you can heal. And all I need is a crumb. It's the woman who, who sneaks up in the crowd and, and also she, she touches the hem of Jesus' robe. All I need is a touch. 
All I need is a crumb. All I need and it will be enough, Lord. And the reason God responds in such amazing fashion is because this woman comes to him in faith. Ephesians says it like this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What brought wholeness to this woman? What brought healing to this woman? What brings the the, the son of the living God to move in mighty fashion, church, is a heart of faith. A heart that believes. A heart that trusts. Jesus isn't concerned with anything else in this moment. Oh, hear me. We need to repent and we need to turn from sin. But what starts that process even first is you believing and having faith in him in the kind of God that he is, the goodness, the humility, the wonder of this Jesus. Jesus looks at her in verse 28 and says, woman, you have great faith, exclamation point. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. There are a few moments in scripture where Jesus is amazed by people's faith. And this is one of them. An outsider. Who's really not an outsider. But is made to feel like an outsider. Trusts in the goodness of God. The greatness of God. And the mercy of God. She has faith, and it is that faith and God's grace at work that brings wholeness to her brokenness. I'll leave you with this. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Yet we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. You are more of a wreck than you will ever realize, church. You are. But the great news is that even though you are more sinful and flawed than you think possible, you are also more loved and accepted than you have ever imagined your heart to hope for. That is the kind of God that we serve. And it is that grace that will transform you 
they will transform brothers and sisters and moms and dads. It is that grace that will transform homes. It is that grace that will transform churches and communities and campuses. It is that grace that wakes people from the dead. It is that grace that allows the outsider, the leper, the one who's sick, the one who needs the grace of God. It is that grace that draws them in to a place like this, unafraid to come into God's presence because they know the kind of God that they serve or the kind of God that exists. It's that grace. It's that grace who brings wholeness to those who are broken. It's that grace that fills your heart with hope when you feel hopeless. It is that grace that changes you and makes you new. That is the grace of the God that we serve and his name is Jesus Christ and there is no one like him. That is who we serve. And it is his grace by faith that saves you and changes you and transforms us. Gentile, pagan, Jew, children at the table, or the dogs just looking for a crumb. Stand to your feet. Father, we thank you. First and foremost, we thank you for your son Jesus today. We thank you for the grace at work. Even in this moment, the grace of God at work. The grace of our God at work. Lord, we need you. Everybody standing here today needs you in some way. And sometimes we're afraid to ask. Sometimes we don't know how to ask. God, sometimes we don't know whether to come as a son or daughter in your house or, or, or sometimes feeling like one who's begging for scraps. But Lord, what we see God, in your scriptures is, is a son of God, the Jesus one, the Messiah, our Savior, who calls us all into his family, who invites us all to the banquet table. And today, Lord, we are coming with faith and we are asking for your grace to be at work in our lives. God, would your grace be at work in our homes, with our teenagers, with our sons, with our daughters. God, would your grace be at work, Lord, with bosses and co-workers? Would your grace be at work as we're trying to pay bills and trying to sort out how to afford things? Would your grace be at work, Lord Jesus? God, for those who are sick and need your healing power, would your grace be enough? Lord, we declare that it is. In fact, Lord, all we need is but a crumb. And the power, just from that single thing, that little moment is enough, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We worship you today. 
It's in the name of Jesus we say thank you and amen.